Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, November 23rd, 2020. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writer Chris Vangelista. Hello. Okay, let's dive into it. We have a week of film news to catch up on, and uh, let's start first with Black Panther 2, which apparently is going to start filming in summer of next year and has cast possibly the big villain ben what do we know yes so um you know as soon as chadwick boseman died uh tragically and surprisingly earlier this year we all sort of assumed that marvel studios was going to essentially put the brakes on black panther 2 for a little while until they figured out the best way to move forward without that franchise's lead star but evidently they've already figured things out or at least to such a degree that they can, they, they've decided to, you know, that they're going to ramp up production on the sequel. So um, it was set to begin uh, filming in, I believe, March of next year. And now it's actually going to start production in July of 2021 in Atlanta, where uh, Marvel films a lot of their blockbusters and the shoot is expected to last for upwards of six months which i feel like is kind of a long time i, I didn't do like a full breakdown of ev- of the the shooting schedules for every single marvel movie but i know that uh the original black panther filmed for less than four months so um sort of a long longer comparatively uh shoot there and then sort yeah. of in addition to that news they uh announced that um a mexican actor named tanok Huerta, I believe is how you pronounce his name, is going to be uh, playing one of the antagonists of the movie. And there's no word yet about who exactly that is going to be. But um, th- the report from The Hollywood Reporter said that it is one of the film's antagonists. So uh, this sort of leads me to believe that there are going to be, you know, multiple <laughs> in this movie. And there tend to be, you know, at least a, a couple yeah. in every big comic book movie, whether or not they're, you know, on the same tier or even like in Black Panther, for example, like you had Andy Serkis's character who was kind of a, a villain, um, but he was like a lower tier than uh, Michael B. Jordan's Killmonger, for example. So um, we're not really sure really anything about, you know, who this actor could be <laughs> playing in this movie. 
Are, are there any Mexican villains in the Black Panther series? I don't I, know. I, I don't have. Yeah. Um, I was just looking at a list of uh, Black Panther antagonists, and there's one um, <laughs> called Kyber the Cruel, who is a scientist who gained the ability to absorb the psionic consciousness slash life forces of human beings. So that one sounds like it could be, um, you know, race neutral, I guess. Uh, um, hmm. So I don't know. I, I, that's like wild speculation on my part that this person might be playing Kyber the Cruel, but I have, I have no idea. <laughs> And I think we we saw a report last week saying that they weren't going to try to bring back Chadwick Boseman with like CG, right? So, so the thing about that is the the versions that I read is that they're not going to use a CGI Boseman to create like a full performance of the character, like for the entire movie. I don't know if that means that a CGI Chadwick Boseman is completely off the table. Um, and, you know, because there's a big difference between doing it for the entire movie and then doing it for like a shot or a couple shots or something like that. Um, so I'm, I'm very curious to see what they're going to do here. I mean, obviously, the whole, you know, we talked a lot about Chadwick Boseman when he passed and and that whole situation is so tragic. But just like, you know, trying to, to put that aside for a second and just thinking about it from a pure, I guess, business perspective or, or future of this franchise perspective or whatever. It's like what storytelling perspective. Yeah, storytelling. Like what what are they going to do here? And, and you know, other franchises have had to deal with this recently. You, you saw Carrie Fisher in, in Star Wars Rise of Skywalker. So um, or, or a, a digital version of her. Um, so it seems like it's not going to be that, but I'm, I just wonder, you know, what, what the full approach is going to be here. Yeah. I don't know. Like, and it, it's very strange that they're able to pivot so f- quickly in making this movie. Like, you know, it's just a few months, right? Delay. Yeah. Four months. So like, yeah. So I mean, like, what do you have? Like, you know, the, the beginning of the movie, like, uh, who was that? That was rumored like Namor or something. Namor the Submariner. Yeah, there were there was a, a reference in uh, Avengers Endgame about some uh, earthquakes that were happening below sea level. And some folks were wondering if Namor the Submariner, this sort of underwater, I guess, Marvel's version of Aquaman, kind of, but he's kind of a <laughs> villain, I guess, is, is maybe going to show up in Black Panther 2 because... Uh, those characters go head to head in the comics frequently from what I understand. So um, I guess it's possible still. And I, I know that Kevin Feige was talking about, you know, the possibility of Namor like years and years ago um, when that character was still, uh, still belonged to universal. So I'm not sure if there's still rights issues tied up with that character. If all that stuff has been resolved, but um, I guess it's a possibility. Yeah. Like I, I just imagine he's going to like show up in the beginning of the film and like, uh, you know, uh, Black Panther's going to end up dying in a big battle and then Shuri's going to have to come in to, I mean, like, is, is there any other way of doing this? I'm not even sure. I'm not sure there is a way of doing it other than Shuri taking the mantle of, or taking the title, right? Of Black yeah, Panther? In our, in, in the comments for our piece, a lot of people were talking about, you know, they should just recast the part. And I, I mean, I guess mm-hmm. that's an option. Um, it just seems it seems so strange to consider that, I guess, since we're still so relatively close to Bozeman's passing, um, it just feels weird for them to like move on in that way. But, you know, I guess that, that is an option. The, the other thing that seems so weird about this is like, it seems like with Disney with the, you know, the theatrical experience being what it is uh, right now during this pandemic, uh, you know, Marvel is investing heavily in Disney plus and stuff. And it seems like it would be so easy to just put this franchise on the back burner for a little while. 
until they can figure it out. But like, yeah. it, it seems so strange that they're going, you know, they're diving right into it. Yeah, so, and I would I, I would assume that like Ryan Coogler, who is still writing and directing this movie, would have like it's just so um, yeah surprising that he would I guess evidently have a, a take that is uh, that can be molded you know to to fit uh, the loss of Chadwick Boseman um, so easily. So yeah, I'm I'm very curious to see what they do. Yeah, let's talk about the other side of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and that is Thor: Love and Thunder, which apparently is going to be like a new Avengers sequel, Chris, what does that mean? Uh, I don't know, but, and we don't even really know what this means as a, as a whole, but uh, there was a, in, in, there was a, a THR report about uh, the Black Panther story that Ben just talked about last week. And in that report, they also just casually tossed off this, this line that um, insiders quote unquote say that Thor Love and Thunder has an Avengers 5 feel thanks to its ensemble. So that kind of suggests this might end up, you know, following in the footsteps of uh, like Captain America's Civil War, which wasn't technically an Avengers movie, but still had pretty much everyone from the MCU in it. And, you know, Thor Love and Thunder is already, you know, it has Thor, obviously, but it's also announced recently that uh, Chris Pratt's Star-Lord was going to be in it. And this kind of suggests they're going to add even more um mcu players into the mix Uh, and you know that would kind of make sense too because you know even thor ragnarok brought in you know like hulk and and stuff like that so it just sounds like they're gonna at least have more than usual mcu crossover potential for this sequel this is so strange because knowing the story that is at the you know that's being adapted here for thor and love and thunder like it's basically natalie portman's character uh gets the hammer right Right, she becomes the the female Thor. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just don't see how that becomes an ensemble thing. Like, you know, Civil War in intrinsically, and it's like concept is an ensemble thing. I don't know. Right, it's just yeah. like I, I don't know how you expand this, but uh, interesting. We'll have to see. Uh, okay, let's talk about um, last week. Universal and Cinemark struck a deal for a shortened theatrical window. Ben, what do we know? Yeah, so um, earlier this year, like as the the pandemic was sort of uh, kicking into higher gear, uh, Universal signed a deal with AMC. Um, that was back in July. And now Universal has signed another deal with uh, Cinemark, which is the third most popular movie theater chain in the US behind AMC and Regal. Um, there are, I think, three important things to note here. The first thing is that every theatrical release from Universal and Focus Features is going to get a 17-day theatrical window. So that's number one. Number two is if the if any of those movies open to more than $50 million at the domestic box office, the theatrical window gets extended out to from 17 days to 31 days. And then number three is after, you know, that period is done, depending on how that film performs. Universal will then be able to choose whether to take uh, those films direct or, you know, move them essentially to premium video on demand or keep them in theaters for longer or a combination of both. And Cinemark, the theater chain, is going to receive a percentage of the money made through the the, uh, PVOD stream. So it's very similar to the AMC deal, the terms of that deal. The only difference here, as far as I can tell, is that they're they're laying down a 
threshold for films to cross with this $50 million um, domestic box office opening. And like, you know, for context, um, I think it's going to be a while before any movie hits $50 million theatrically in an opening weekend at the domestic box office. I think I, I should have pulled this up right beforehand, but I want to say I saw some tweets and stuff going around this past, you know, in the past few days, essentially saying that uh, Freaky, the new Universal um, movie, I, I think was like number one at the box office and it opened to like under $5 million or something. I don't have the exact number in front of me, but it's going to be a while before, you know, enough theaters are going to be open, enough people are going to be willing to go back to theaters for any film to generate $50 million in its opening weekend. So all this stuff is sort of, it, to me, it's it feels like, Universal and Cinemark are are looking forward here and not necessarily trying to do something that is like a, you know, putting a bandaid on the Hoover Dam kind of situation where they're trying to figure out how to how to do something right this second. It's kind of um, this deal is is a multi-year deal. So this is going to be, you know, with them for a little while. Wow. Um, I, I guess the, the first thing that comes to my mind is like, like, do <laughs> Universal's movies, like, do they typically make over fifty million dollars on opening weekend? Like, you know, I'm look, well, you know, you looking. Well, you got Fast here. and Furious. Uh, those are those are huge openers. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of other franchises that Universal has, and I cannot come. Oh, you know, like they, they have a lot of uh, animated stuff. I think they don't they release the um like the uh, Illumination Entertainment movies. I feel like those are all released through Universal. Yeah. Um, so those are big money makers as well. So, um, but know, even the, a film like Jason Bourne, which I know is a bad example made, I mean, I guess that made $59 million opening weekend. So it's, it's possible like in pre pandemic times, but I think to your point, Ben, I don't think we're going to see that even with like a, the biggest of the big for what over a year at this point yeah i guess it all depends on vaccines and how quickly people are are ready to get back to theaters and all that stuff um yeah it's definitely going to be several months before you know any of those things are uh are reasonable expectations i think yeah what, what, what effect do you think this will have post-pandemic like do you think all the movie theaters are going to follow suit and like allow this to be the new normal I don't know. I was wondering about this because I'm surprised really that it took this long for this deal to happen because this just happened. And, and like I said, that AMC deal happened back in July. So um, the fact that it is happening now, um, you know, that, that it's it's more than just a one off now leads me to think that like, you know, some of these other it, it's very it takes a long time for decisions like this to go through like a, a corporate uh, bureaucracy yeah. and, and all of that kind of stuff. So I, I'm wondering now if other um, uh, theater chains and things like that are going to jump on the bandwagon here. Um, because yeah, I think, you know, everything is so uncertain. Like what does the the future of movie theaters look like once this thing is, is done? Uh, are they going to be able to, to, you know, we, we've spent so much time talking about like, are they going to be able to survive until the pandemic is done? But yeah, sort of looking beyond that, like what do they look like after it's over? Um, at least for the next few years, it's going to look a lot like this deal, I think, because uh, the AMC deal is a multi-year thing as well. Yeah, it, it's it's strange. You know, 700 movie theaters closed over the weekend uh, here in California, where I live. Uh, most of California went into the purple tier, which means the movie theaters had to close. Um, I'm wondering 
how movie theaters are going to come out of this. Like I, I felt a little bit more optimistic, you know, a couple months ago when things were, you know, uh, on the decline. But now I, I'm, I'm, I'm really not sure uh, what the future of movie theaters are. But we're, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna find out. Uh, late last week, we had some surprising news, and that is Ten Cloverfield Lane director Dan Trachtenberg is making a new Predator movie. Chris, tell us about that. Uh, yeah, so this is going to be a new Predator film. It doesn't seem like it's going to have anything to do with the previous Predator film, which was called The Predator, and it was directed by Shane Black and was kind of a disappointment to everyone. So uh, this isn't like that. It's just a, a just a new entry. It's not a reboot. It just sounds like it's a new Predator movie. And interestingly enough, uh, Dan Trachtenberg uh, got on social media and said that this was kind of supposed to be a surprise. And it kind of sounds like it was a approach they, they took with, um, I don't know if anyone remembers this at this point, but a little while ago, there was uh, a new Blair Witch sequel from director Adam Wingard. And for a long time, it was being advertised. There were trailers and everything as just the woods. And then shortly before it was released, they were like, surprise, we were just kidding. This is actually a new Blair Witch movie. And it kind of sounds like that's what they were trying to do with this movie. Because um, a few years ago, uh, 2019, actually, not that long ago, um, word broke that Dan Trachtenberg was making a movie called Skulls, which was about, um, quote, uh, a Comanche woman who goes against gender norms and traditions to become a warrior. And that film has the same screenwriter, uh, Patrick Azen who uh, is also writing this new Predator movie. So it really sounds like they were trying to keep this on the down low and make a secret Predator movie. And uh, they were unable, they were unable to keep it a secret uh, for very long because now we, we all know what this is. Yeah. And uh, Dean Trachtenberg, you know, obviously he made 10 Cloverfield Lane that has a female protagonist. This has a female protagonist, at least judging by this uh, Skulls plot synopsis. And it's uh, going from it like, you know, the gender norms and that thing. It, it feels like they're kind of going for more of a like, uh... <laughs> Chris, I know you hate this word, but elevated take on the Predator franchise. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, it definitely <laughs> sounds different. Um, there, there haven't been. Uh, you know, if you don't count the Alien versus Predator movies, which people <laughs> say, you don't, don't tend to count those as part of the the main Predator series, there hasn't yeah. really been like a female-driven Predator movie. Like there have been female characters in the movies, but they're very much male-driven, uh, you know, stories. So this definitely sounds like a a change of pace. I'm not really sure how the Predator fits in with that plot line, but I guess we'll we'll wait and see. Yeah, the the other surprising thing is that this is coming from, you know, Disney now owns Fox and Fox owns Predator. Right. So is it surprising that Disney would want to make a Predator movie? Uh, you know, I, I do. You know, I, I was a little worried with the big, you know, Fox Disney deal. And to be clear, I still don't think it was a good thing. It was a big monopoly sort of thing that isn't great. But I was worried that Disney was going to try and shut down more of the adult driven Fox titles, but so far they really haven't been doing that. So, you know, knock on wood, it doesn't seem like Disney is going to be too strict with, you know, their adult driven releases from Fox or, you know, I guess it's called 20th Century Studios now and 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 uh, Searchlight Pictures and stuff like that. So to their credit, they, they haven't done that just yet. Okay, probably the biggest news of last week was Wonder Woman 1984. We knew this was going to happen. It is going to. Well, it's not going to skip theaters. It's going to hit theaters. It's just going to, it just so happens it's going to hit uh, 
you know, your TV set on the same day. Ben, tell us about it. Yes. So uh, Wonder Woman 1984, after months of uh, being scheduled to hit theaters on Christmas Day, is actually going to stay on that release date. And as you mentioned, it is it is going to be playing in whatever movie theaters are open, I guess, and whatever uh, theater chains decide to show the movie. And then it is also going to, uh, directly to HBO Max on Christmas Day, uh, I guess, for for quote unquote free to its subscribers. It's not like a, a Mulan Disney Plus situation where you have to pay extra um, if you subscribe to or pay for Disney. Uh, I'm sorry, for uh, HBO Max, you're just going to be able to watch Wonder Woman 1984 for free at home on Christmas Day. So um I guess uh, it's actually going to be only available on HBO Max in the U.S. for a month, um, which I have not seen that, uh, you know, I guess reported as much recently, but that was from the official press release uh, from HBO Max. And then um, well, what, actually, wait, wait, what, why do you think that is like, what is the, the deal there? <laughs> Um, I'm not sure. I wonder if it has something to do with the the contracts and the rights and like the um, man, I, I don't know. I, I I think there are so many of those kinds of decisions that like we yeah. as the you know outsiders looking in don't have uh, we're not privy to. Um, I, I feel like it has to have something to do with like they will, you know, once it, it is gone from HBO Max, they'll be able to send it to, you know, Amazon and iTunes and wherever the hell, you know, people normally pay to rent things um, just so it's not uh, solely living on HBO Max. Um, that, that would be. Oh, you're guess. right. So um, that's probably it. They probably struck deals to have like rental on different platforms beforehand. And they, they at the same time can't have it for free on their streaming server. Right. You know, yeah. That makes sense. That would be my guess. Um, and then uh, it's also, I think, important to note that it is going to be de- uh, debuting theatrically in international markets that don't have access to HBO Max or where HBO Max has not, uh, you know, rolled out yet um, on December sixteenth. So that's earlier than obviously than uh, December twenty fifth. So for people who are like super sensitive to spoilers and things like that. Um, the movie is going to be out in theaters uh, for certain segments of the world before it hits in the United States. So just be careful out there uh, for anybody who's like, you know, hmm. really trying to go into this movie completely spoiler free. Do you think now that this has happened, do you think Marvel will follow suit with Black Widow? Uh, man, Black Widow is still um, a big question mark for me because I don't know how much it ties in with the rest of the MCU. And like, you know, all that stuff is so interconnected. They've they've done such a good job of, of uh, you know, creating this net. And now like they've kind of <laughs> strung themselves. They've gotten kind of got got caught in their own net to some degree because of the pandemic and, and all these delays and everything. So, um, yeah, I'm very curious. I mean, I, I think, uh, Bob Chapek, who's the CEO of Disney, we were listening in on a, a call recently and he was basically saying like the Mulan model is going to be utilized at some point moving forward. Um, and I would not be surprised if they did that for black widow, like made people pay for that one because they know that they can get a lot of money from people who want to see the new Marvel movie. Um, yeah. But it also depends, I think, on the the vaccines and the pandemic and all of that stuff. If they can, like, you know, open Black Widow in, I don't know, let's say October or November of 2021 and do it safely theatrically, maybe they'll still be able to make a billion dollars and not have to, you know, deal with the, the VOD aspect of it at all. I don't know. 
Um, and we've also heard that Disney might be considering pushing the premieres of some of their live action remakes to Disney Plus. Yeah, so um, movies like Pinocchio, Peter Pan and Wendy, and Cruella, the one that stars uh, Emma Stone, um, are in various stages of development. And and um, yes, the, there is a lot of, uh, I guess, internal talk and, and some reports and stuff that people at Disney are, are talking about moving those uh, from theatrical releases straight to Disney+. Plus. Um, uh, you know, those those movies going straight to Disney Plus would not have the same impact as something like Wonder Woman going straight to HBO Max because Disney has already done this and, and is going to do it again with Soul coming up a month from now. Um, but like I was just talking about, I, I wouldn't be surprised also if, uh, you know, one, two, three of these movies are... Uh, you know, they they drop them straight on Disney Plus, but force you to pay a little bit extra to see them, too. So um, I, I I really, you know, the the Mulan experiment, um, I think, is not uh, is not quite as open and closed as a lot of people would have you believe. I, I think, you know, we're going to see a lot more of that from Disney in the future. It's just a matter of like when they strategically uh, decide to you know apply that that uh, tactic. Yeah. Do you think the fact that Disney is considering pushing these premieres of these live action remakes to Disney Plus says anything about the confidence they have in those particular films to like, or do you think it's just like, you know, there's a certain kind of film that will perform well right now during this pandemic on a streaming service or, you know, with this Mulan uh, model. And that's probably like a very, you know, high family friendly film, I'm guessing. Like, mm-hmm. what do you think it is? Do you think there is a confidence issue in some of these, like that the, that these couldn't hit, like you know, Beauty and the Beast or Lion King levels of of box well, office? Yeah, because I, I think you know they've they've already done the big ones, right? Like we've talked about this before. They're they're kind of like not scraping the bottom of the barrel yet, but definitely working with like lower tier material. And even though you have something like Pinocchio, which is starring Tom Hanks as Geppetto and is directed by Robert Zemeckis, I mean, those are like big names. It's a reunion for the castaway guys. Like you know, theoretically, that should be kind of a big deal. There's just something about it that feels a little lesser than to me and and yeah i think that's you know are are the kids these days let's pretend the 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 pandemic is not happening for a second are the kids these days really gonna like be you know psyched to 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 go out and pay money to see uh a robert zemeckis movie starring tom hanks but it's pinocchio like (laughs) is pinocchio a character a character that people give a shit about in the year 2020 i don't know Um, not to to mention has anyone seen Robert Zemeckis' movies lately? I, right. I, I don't think I don't think they're anything worth getting excited about anymore at this point. Right. So, um, well, yeah. also this poor Robert Zemeckis. If this happens, this will be the second film in a row that was supposed to go into theaters that will end up going straight to TV. Right. Yeah. Because he uh, had the witches. Right. The Which witches, went to yes. H- yeah. So, uh, okay, we'll have to keep an eye out on that. Uh, We've had a couple stories hit this past week involving the Scream franchise. There's a new Scream movie uh, that just finished filming. And I I think we're all very, like, not sure what, you know, what is this movie? Uh, You know, how is this going to fit into the, the grand picture of the Scream franchise? Chris, do we know anything more? Right. So there's there's a little confusion about about the new Scream movie. Technically it's Scream 5, but it's just called Scream. And that sort of By the way, how much do you hate that? 
you know, I don't mind it that much. I, I, I know a lot of people are like annoyed by it. I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm nonplussed. I, you know, I, I would have liked if it had a, a different title, but I'm not going to, you know, I'll, I'll write to reserve judgment, but it does open the film up to some, some questions, you know, there, you know, uh, it's bringing back, you know, original cast members, Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, David Arquette, they're all coming back, but by calling it scream, it kind of suggests that they could be trying to take the same route as uh 2018's Halloween, which was a sequel, but was also a reboot in the sense that it brought back Jamie Lee Curtis and it was a direct sequel to the first film, but it just ignored all the other sequels. So it was both sequel slash reboot. And uh, some people are wondering, is this, this new scream going to be trying to do sort of a same thing. And uh, the film's directors um, whose names I can never pronounce right. Uh, Matt Batinelli open and Tyler Gallette. I'm, I apologize if I butchered those names, but uh, they're making the new film and they gave an interview where, they didn't come right out and say, yes, a hundred percent. This is a sequel to all four films, but they, they gave a comment that sort of really implies that um, I'm not going to read the whole comment, but they said, um, so for us, it felt like the only way to do this right was to create connectivity. And a lot of that is also just what the screen movies are. They're about lineage. They're about the evolution of pop culture and the evolution of the genre. And you can't have something new without also giving a nod to what came before it and paying respect and giving a bow to what followed. So I kind of read that as, yes, this is a sequel to all four previous films, but they they sort of phrase it in, in this sort of like, tap dancey way where they're like it's a nod to the films that came before it which kind of gives them a little wiggle room mm. if they want to <laughs> ignore some things but I, I i do think it sounds like this isn't going to be the same thing as halloween where they they only acknowledge the first film and they ignore everything else you know this does sound like it's going to really be scream five and not just sequel slash reboot screen <laughs> what what if they treat the previous films as like it's like the stab films in this universe do you know what i mean like those are the movies based off what happened and not all the stuff happened and that's how you get to bring jamie kennedy back because he never died yeah you know i i, I wish i remember who i saw say it, but i saw someone on twitter theorize that uh, i actually think it might have been rob savage the guy who directed host uh but it was someone who said that they're theorizing that in the scream universe they're rebooting the stab franchise and the stab franchise is now called scream. And that's why this new movie is called scream. And like, I don't know if that's right. And you know, but I was like, that's a neat idea if that's what they're doing. So, you know, uh -huh. who knows what they're doing. The, the other thing is last week, uh, I think Kevin Williamson said, had some kind of quote where he said that this one wouldn't have the deconstruction or self-awareness of the previous films. Right. Yeah. He sort of, you know, he was asked if he were making a new screen movie, what would he do? And he said, oh. and he was like, I would have it not be, um, you know, very, as meta as that is. But he also didn't 100% say that's what they were doing with this film. So it, he sort of implied it. But, you know, it's also important to remember he's not writing this new movie. So that's sort of like his advice, but not exactly what they're doing. But who knows? <laughs> what would who knows what film, yeah, but what would this screen film be without the the deconstruction and self-awareness like isn't that part of the charm of the scream franchise i man i don't know <laughs> I, I mean yes the scream franchise is very much about 
characters who are aware of how horror movies work and stuff like that. So you kind of need that in there at the same time, Kevin Williamson's uh, full comments, they kind of made it sound like, you know, we've done that so many times now, you know, we, you know, they, there's been four movies, not to mention countless movies that sort of took that idea and ran with it, that it doesn't really seem fresh anymore. So I kind of see where he's coming from, but yeah, I don't really know how you make a screen movie. And you can't have like a hundred percent serious screen movie, I guess is what, what we're all trying to say here. Like it can't be like this really dark. It can't be like hereditary. It can't be like this bleak, hopeless modern day uh, horror. It has to somehow be, you know, winking at the audience in some context. Actually, you know, while we're here, I want to get your take on this, Chris, because, you know, I'm a huge fan of scream one. And I think what it really does well is it, plays with our expectations of the horror movie genre and like you know references certain horror movies and then it uh subverts them in interesting and fun ways uh the sequels for me i i do like them i think more than most people like them but one of the problems to me is like it's instead of referencing horror films or deconstructing horror films it's it's kind of referencing itself Right, it, it, it's it's be, it's becoming too meta. Like, do you agree or do you disagree there? I, I do think, especially Scream Three, which I think is like the weakest of the sequels. It did get to this point where it was like constantly, like pointing out stuff from you know its own uh, past, and so I do think they sort of ran into trouble. Um, that said, I really loved Scream Four. I thought Scream Four was a really interesting take, and, and you know, Scream Four it kind of did what the force awakens did before the force awakens came out where it was both, it was like a sequel where the original characters just kept showing up and being like, Hey, remember us from the, the original franchise. So <laughs> I, I, I thought that was like a really neat idea. And a lot of movies kind of took that and ran with it, you know, not just force awakens, but like, you know, the Creed franchise, which took, you know, the Rocky series and, and, and spun it. So I, I kind of feel like scream four doesn't get enough credit for being one of the, the first films in this new era to do that because you know a lot of people don't talk about it in that that same breath and i feel like they should yeah well speaking of the creed franchise the director of creed 2 is going to be embarking on a transformers movie of sorts ben tell us about it yes stephen cable jr who directed creed 2 is going to be directing a new transformers film that is the news uh we're not even sure what this movie is going to be or which person is going to be writing it because earlier at the beginning of this year, I think it was back in January, Paramount hired two different writers to uh, create two different takes on the Transformers mythos. And uh, they're developing both of those scripts at the same time. And then they're going to ultimately choose one. And I guess they're just going to hand whichever one they choose over to Stephen Cable Jr. to direct. So um, yeah, that's where we are right now. Remember when they had a writer's room for the Transformers franchise, like Michael Bay, and they had like 10 writers in there and they they had planned the next like 100 years of, you know, I'm I'm kidding, like 10 years of Transformers movies. And like, I think two of those got like mushed together into Michael Bay's last Transformers movie. And then, you know, I think everything was scrapped. So uh, I think Bumblebee came out of there. So that was, I guess, good. Um, But yeah, it was uh, there was so much made about the writer's room for that. And then now it's like they're hiring people who uh, one guy who wasn't even involved with that. And then one of the scripts was from uh, James Vanderbilt, who I believe was part of that writer's room. And um, in terms of like what 
this movie might potentially be about. There was a report earlier this year that James Vanderbilt, uh, who wrote like The Amazing Spider-Man and Zodiac and a bunch of other stuff, um, that he was working on something that would basically be like a version of Transformers Beast Wars, which is set in the future of the original Transformers continuity. Um, so I guess like the the uh, Shia LaBeouf era. Um, so like the future of that world. And then the Transformers have, I guess, evolved or, or descended from regular Transformers, regular Autobots and Decepticons into something called Maximals and Predacons. I don't know, guys. That's just, I'm just reading what's- Yeah, they, 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 they look like dinosaurs and stuff. I think we saw them in one of the Transformers, like the Michael Bay films. Yeah, I remember I playing with- Those were Dinobots maybe, but this is- Oh, this is something Wars, different? So I think this is different, but yeah. Oh, maybe I'm confused then. <laughs> <laughs> the, it's very easy to get confused when you talk about the transformers you know not only like the uh the movies themselves like literally what are you seeing on screen because michael bay was so chaotic in the direction of those films but like the mythology there and like you know there were <laughs> transformers were involved with the moon landing and like all sorts of insane shit in those movies so um <laughs> we don't know what this uh version is going to be uh that Stephen Cable Jr is going to be directing but um best of luck to him because uh whatever he gets handed I feel like it's going to be ridiculous and um I I hope he uh comes out of it okay <laughs> What do you think of him as a director because I remember being blown away by the first Creed movie and then going into Creed 2 and being so disappointed I'm not sure it's his fault necessarily but like i don't feel like it's it's up to the caliber of that first uh ryan coogler i mean you're also you know compa- comparing yourself to ryan coogler right so. yeah and just like the energy level like the the first creed felt like so vital because that idea was um was new and and the idea of the first creed really feels like something that was um conjured up in a studio boardroom by a bunch of executives trying to figure out how to resurrect a franchise but that that just all came from ryan coogler like he and you could feel that passion in that full movie and creed 2 kind of felt like it you know i he did a fine uh, stephen cable jr did a fine job directing that movie it just didn't have the inherent sense of um of energy and like uh you know, that, that same passion of like this idea, you know, originated from him and it has been, you know, burning as a, you know, like under his ass for days and days or or, or years and years rather for him to, you know, be able to, uh, to finally make this and like, let this story out. It just felt like he, you know, was a, was hired to direct this movie and and did a, a fine job with what he was given. So, um, it's kind of seems like it's going to be the same thing here, but uh, I, I look forward to the day when we see, you know, Stephen Cable Jr. actually directing something that, um, you know, that that he like a passion project from him. I want to know, like, who he is as a filmmaker. I feel like those kinds of things tell us a lot. Ben, you don't know. Little Stevie was probably playing with his Beast War toys and like this is like his dream project. Uh, it could be. I would just, I mean, yes, that, that is very, <laughs> that's very true, Peter. Who am I to say that, uh, that Beast Wars is, um, is anything lesser than anything else we've seen in the Transformers franchise so far? Yes. Okay. That brings us to the end of today's Slash Home Daily. You can find more of all of our work at slashfilm.com. You can find links to the news 
items we mentioned on today's podcast in the show notes. You can find this podcast on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter.com. And please head on over to our iTunes page, uh, write us a review, give us a five stars, uh, tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you on Wednesday.